Hello, this is Craig Parkett, and welcome to Clubhouse Conversations. Every summer in Kansas City, 25 men have one simple mission, to win. Starting pitchers, corner power hitters, middle relievers, speedy gloves up the middle, closers, utility infielders, backup catchers, and they're each remembered here. From 1969 to last year, all Royals careers have been preserved with the most comprehensive collection of facts, memories, and stories in existence. Welcome to Clubhouse Conversation. This is the place where we catch up with all your favorite current and former Royals players on Clubhouse Conversation. Thanks for having us on. It's Davo, and today we're going to be joined by Craig Paquette, who played for the Royals from 1996 to 1997. Craig Paquette with 11 seasons logged total at the major league level. But you might remember him hitting cleanup for KC, especially back in 1996 while with the Royals. He hit a combined 30 home runs and 100 RBIs, played mainly third base. They called him Pokey. Also was able to play for the Royals a bit of left and a bit of short, a bit of first. The guy could hit. Went on to play with many other teams at the big league level after coming up with Oakland, came to KC, and then spent times as well with the Mets, the Cardinals, and Tigers, even playing in a couple different playoff years with St. Louis. And he joins us now on Clubhouse Conversation, Craig Paquette. How's everything going with you, and what are you up to these days? Actually, I'm out living in Arizona, uh, enjoying life, trying a new venture here. Going to get into the restaurant business in the next couple months, and I'm looking forward to it. Have you gotten a chance to uh, follow much baseball these days? Yeah, actually, I've, uh, I have two boys, one 20 and playing soccer in college, and I have a 15-year-old son that plays baseball. So he and I get to watch baseball quite a bit together. And what did you think of the 2014 World Series? I uh, loved it. Uh, actually, I think this past, past postseason was probably the most exciting one I've ever seen. Yeah, Royals came up short, but it was a good little run. So you ready to go back and start from high school? Yeah, let's shoot. Let's do Fire it. Away. So you went to, uh, you're from Garden Grove, California there, Rancho Alamitos High School. You'd be drafted after your senior year in 87 by the Twins. But before we talk about that, so, you know, were you expecting to get drafted after your senior year? Was that something you were kind of thought would happen? No, you know what? It's, it's kind of a funny story. It's one of those stories where I always tell kids you never know who's going to see you at what time. Uh, once you get into high school, it's, it's really more obvious nowadays than it was back when I got drafted. But fortunate for me, uh, I went to a small high school, and we played Esperanza High School, which was number one in the country at the time. Uh, and they had the athlete or the baseball player of the year there the year before named Tom Reddington at shortstop. So we went to their field to play for a doubleheader, and as we show up, there's a scout from every team there. So at that time, I don't think any scout or anybody knew who I was playing for a small high school, not really having great numbers. Uh but just so happened that day had a great game. Uh, first game I was two for four with a home run. The second game I was two for four with a home run. Played shortstop and kind of opened some of the scouts' eyes. And uh, from that day forward, I started being scouted and was uh, looked at quite a bit. Very cool. So the Twins take you in the 36th round that year, and you end up going to Golden West College in Huntington Beach instead. So what made you choose to bypass the Twins and go to college? I don't think I was ready. I. As far as travel goes, my family, we stayed close to home. We always going road trips. We never were, I, I don't think I was ever on a plane at that time. Uh, and the scout came to my house, didn't offer a lot of money, being a 37th round draft pick, and he told me I was going to be going to New York to play in the Penn League if I 
that didn't really excite me, not knowing much, being a homebody, kind of not being out of the house. I realized it's probably better off if I went to school, got a little stronger, and see what happens after that. Well, the, the, the decision paid off very well for you because two years later, in 89, Oakland takes you in the eighth round of the draft. So uh, that situation, was Oakland kind of the team you thought might take you? No, you know what? That's another, another funny story. Uh, in, I'm not going to say it's politics or attitude or what it might be, but I went to junior college first year. I had a really good year. I think I hit 397 with all states uh, and thought, I had a real good chance to get drafted again, and that was one of the main reasons why I chose to go to a junior college because you have that opportunity every year to get drafted or, or to sign with a four-year school. Had a great year, led the team in home runs, RBIs, second in average. The Minnesota Twin Scout came back to me and offered 19000 in the incentive plan. Huh. And I'll never forget the one comment I made to him. I said, well, you know what, $19,000. And at this time, of course, I don't have an agent. It's just me and my mom and dad sitting at the table with the, with the scout. And I said that I didn't think I could get a car for $19,000 and take out the taxes. That's only twelve or thirteen grand. <laughs> uh, and for some reason, I think he went back. And it was an older gentleman. I don't, I don't remember his name. But to my knowledge, he went back and said, this kid doesn't want to play baseball. He just wants a car. So the next draft, which was like a week later, I'm not 100% sure, but I think seven or nine players off of my team in junior college got drafted. I didn't get drafted. So after that happened, got a little more serious with school, went back to school, uh, went back to Golden West, did not put up as good numbers. I was, I think I hit fourth, got walked a lot. We didn't have that strong of a team, mostly freshmen. Uh, and no, no scouts approached me before the draft and ended up going to the Oakland A's round. So it's kind of a weird story that I'll play out. Yeah, totally. Well, you end up going uh, that same summer. You start your pro career, Southern Oregon of the Northwest League. You led the league in defense. You were second in batting with three thirty six, and you led the team in home runs with fourteen. So that first summer in minor league ball, what sticks out about that? You know what? I, I just think it was a great opportunity, great teammates. And it's just one of those things where, I mean, I lived in a house with a family that had a, a baseball player that was in the minor leagues. Great scenario. There was nothing uncomfortable about it. And it really was just a great start to his pro career. Yeah. Well, 1990, high A Modesto in the Cal League is where you were that year. You led the league in fielding again at third base. Big power numbers. Then in 91, you go to A Huntsville after offseason uh, shoulder surgery cramped your offseason that year. How difficult was the, was the surgery to go through? It was it was tough because it was my first injury, but it was it was a weird situation where it just I had a tweak in my shoulder, a sharp pain every time I threw the ball. Didn't know what it was. They found it was a partial tear of the rotator cuff, and I actually came back through the rehab process and felt stronger and never had any problems since then. So it was actually not that it was a blessing that it happened, but it was pretty good timing that it happened that soon in my career. Yeah, well, the next year, 92, huge year in your development. So you're between A Huntsville and then Tacoma. You had 19 home runs. You had the most RBIs in the entire A's minor league system with 82. And you'd make your big league debut the next June. But when you think back to the end of 92, were you disappointed at all that you didn't get a September call-up that year? And, and could you even have imagined you'd be playing every day in the big leagues a year later? I wouldn't say I was disappointed, but I was a little bit surprised because I'd been put on the roster that year. So before that season, I knew going into it that if I had a, a pretty good year, there's a chance I could get a September call-up. And at the time, third base spot with the A's 
I don't remember if that was Kern Lanford's last year. Scott Brocious was in the mix. So there was three or four guys that were kind of moving around at that spot, but there was no one set there. So to, to say I was upset, no. To say I was just a little surprised, probably. Yeah. Well, 93, you start at Tacoma. And then you get the call up to Omaha or to Oakland, not Omaha, to Oakland in time for the game June first. So take us back to that moment that you got the call up to the big leagues. Where were you at? Who told you? You know what was that like for you? Well, actually, it was after a day game, and we were in Tacoma, Washington, uh, and they called the our apartments. I believe I was there with my fiance and maybe Kurt Abbott was my roommate at the time. Uh, got the phone call, said you're on your way up. We want you to play third base. Jumped on a plane, got there halfway through the game. Uh, got there about halfway through the game, put my jersey on, went in the dugout. They were already starting the game. Tony greeted me, said, congratulations. You're going to be watching this one. Be ready to go tomorrow. Yeah, and you started off on fire, too. So you get hits in 18 of your first 23 games then when you come up. And then I have one horrible memory of you. I'm sure you probably remember this. It was against the Royals. Tom Gordon, you took him deep, and uh, and you helped KC blow an eight-run lead that day. Do you remember that one at all? Yeah, I, I really do. And, I, and I'll, actually, I'll never forget that because at that time, I guess that was the biggest comeback in Oakland A's history. <laughs> and a couple people let me know about that, so that was, that was really cool. They seem to make a habit of that money ball years later, that game, the famous game against the Royals as well. Uh, yeah. So you finished off 93, you had good power numbers, but then uh, into 94 you began the year at uh, AAA Tacoma to start that year. Was that kind of a, a disappointing thing with Scott Brocious and starting 94 and all that? Yeah, that, that was the, one, of the, one of those things where you get stuck in the numbers, politics, options. Uh, Scott and I both had great spring trainings. I believe I hit 350, he hit 330. Uh, and it came down to numbers. He, he didn't have any options left. I had one option left. And, you know, you always get that call in the last, after your last spring training game, hey, Craig, I need to see you in the office. And, you know, you walk in there knowing what's going to happen. And it's kind of close to this one of the hardest decisions you've ever made. But, you know, you have an option left. We don't want to lose you or Scott right now at this time. We're kind of in a rebuilding phase. So we're hoping to go down, keep working hard. It won't, it won't be long until you get called up. Well, he got injured, so he did get called back uh, there in 94, but then they sent you back to Tacoma again. Then, of course, the baseball strike hit. Was that kind of just a miserable summer, I'm assuming, 94? Yeah. I was coming off an injury, so I went down. When I got called back up, it was kind of a funny story how Tony called me in his office. I really thought Tony respected me and liked me as a player. He called me and said, it's my job. Go out there and take it by the balls and win it. Because Scott... <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if it's Scott Crash's finger. He did something to his hand where it was a minimal, minimal injury that he was for sure going to be ready in two weeks. So I, I think it was kind of like an audition for me to see what I can do. And I went out there and just tried to hit everything in the park as many times as I can, destroying everything I saw. And of course, that's obviously not the right thing to do. So I lasted two weeks and was get back down to play. Yeah. Well, and then went down there. And not that I showed off my frustration, but kind of. Continue to go all out, put up really good numbers, and then trying to turn a single into a double. Twist my ankle, running and getting to second base, and then fracturing my fibula and having the surgery. So I missed that whole off season, and then that was the strike season. So I was on crutches most of the time. I was really frustrating. My wife at the time had to go get a waitressing job because we didn't know what the future held. But uh, as far as stress and frustration, I was pretty top line. 
Well, baseball got going in 95, and you spent the entire season in Oakland. Had a really nice year, too. You had some great moments, including a 15-game hitting streak. I'm assuming you probably remember that one. Yep. Yep. That was uh, definitely a good time. But once again, I I think I fell against the uh, the old I wasn't an everyday player. Get up there, be aggressive. You got you to do something impressive, stay in the lineup. And I was known as an aggressive hitter in the first Paul Swinger, and I think you know, early in my career, it really, it really hurt me. You had a uh, two-home run night that year, including seven RBIs and a grand slam off Allen Mills. And also that year, they kind of began playing you at other places besides third base uh, on a pretty consistent basis. Was I mean, were you comfortable moving around in retrospect to all those different positions? You know what, I, I really was. I think that that's kind of what made me change my attitude to hitting was, you know what, I'm, I'm here to help this team in any spot possible. I think any any extra offense I can do, as long as I played solid defense when he put me in there, any extra offense was a plus. And I think it really helped me offensively when he did that. Well, you came back uh, in 96, obviously hoping to make that club, and then they released you during spring training. So before we talk about you coming to KC, was that kind of a surprise to you when you found that out? Yeah, it was. I mean, it, I didn't know... It's the first time it ever happened to me. I know getting sit down in, in 94 was tough. But when you get released and, and feel like your your baseball career might be over, and of course at the time I think I was 26 years old, maybe just turned 27, so I knew I wasn't done. But you always that th- that thought always crosses your mind when someone releases you that you're not wanted and that might be your last day in a baseball uniform. So it was it was difficult, but fortunate for me, I, as soon as it happened, went home, talked to my agent, and I had quite a few phone calls uh, with a couple opportunities as soon as it happened. Well, the Royals were one of them. They signed you on April 3rd of that year. So you start in Omaha. You're hitting three thirty-three with four jacks and 13 RBIs in 18 games, and Casey calls you up right away. But So do you remember much about uh, those three weeks in Omaha to start 96? Yeah, I do. It, it was a really good time. I know we... I enjoyed playing in Omaha, and of course, you got to play where the College World Series is, and I never got to experience a four-year college, so I, I I enjoyed my time in Omaha, but the reason why I picked Kansas City was because Bob Boone was my AAA manager coming up through Oakland, and Greg Lazinski was our hitting coach, and I became, not that I became friends, it's hard, hard to say that, but I bonded with those two guys. And Bob Boone's pretty much the main reason. I talked to him on the phone before I actually signed with Kansas City. He's probably the main reason why I signed with the Royals. And he explained that, you know, we need to go down to Omaha, get some bats, so we figure out what's going on up here. So I understood that I was going down and tried to make the best of it, and fortunately I had a pretty good time and a pretty good season down there. Well, April 28th of 96, Patrick Lennon gets released by the Royals, and then you get called back up to KC. Was there kind of a cool moment where you, you know, remember where you were when that took place? You know, I don't remember where I was at. I just, I just know anytime you get that phone call, it's, it's like your world is changing and it's for the better. And it was an awesome experience. I love Kansas City and going to that stadium on a daily basis was a lot of fun. Totally. Well, so think back to when you first walked into that clubhouse the first time. So you're walking in with new teammates. Who were some of the guys that kind of took you under their wing? And what were your thoughts initially on joining the Royals clubhouse and you know coming up to KC? The two guys that I bonded most most with were Joe Vidiello and Mike McFarland. Uh, McFarland to me was a great guy, great leader, welcomed everybody in immediately. Uh, I became strong friends with him right off the bat. Well, and then August 6th and 7th of that year, 
back-to-back games with both the home run and three RBIs against your former team, Oakland. That probably, I'm assuming, felt pretty damn good, right? Yeah. No, that, that, was, that was definitely probably one of the highlights of that year without, a, without question, being able to do something against a team that gave up on you. And it added a little fuel to the fire every time I stepped in the batter's box. Well, you finished that year at, you know, as the Royals' leader in both home runs and RBIs, both career highs for you at that time, hitting cleanup quite a bit as well. Uh, so what have the Royals told you, you know, heading into 1997? Going into 97, I know, well, going back to 96, I think we over-exceeded what they had expected. I think we, I don't know, I'm not sure what our record was, but I believe we were about 10 games under 500. Played a little better than they expected without having a big money guy. So I think going into 97, they figured we can spend a little money, bring a couple of big free agents in, help it out, and maybe we have make it, can make a run for it. And not saying it backfired, but I don't think anybody they brought in actually had the years that they expected or were hoping for. Uh, therefore, they had to get rid of some guys. And unfortunately for me, who I think at the time, going into 97, they had told me I was going to be the third baseman. I don't know if we had already traded Joe Rand or that we, he was moving around. Do you remember at the time if Joe Randall was still there when we started in 97? I think that he had just gotten traded, I think. Yeah, so going into 97, I believe I was I was supposed to be the starting third baseman. Jay Bell had come over to play shortstop. I think we moved Offerman to second, and then Jeff King was at first base. So on paper, it sounded like a pretty solid infield uh, from the year before stats and everything going into it. Yeah, it did, actually. But I don't know. I mean, I don't like pointing fingers at things, but things just didn't happen the right way. Obviously, Bob Boone and Greg Lewinsky got fired halfway through the season. And in reality, I think I was the only person that was kind of let go. And I'm the only one that really had a relationship with Bob Boone and Greg Lewinsky, the ones that brought me over. So if, if politics were concerned with how I left, I don't. I think it's 100% sure that that's what happened. Because if you look at my numbers, I think I had 660 at-bats for a year and a half. 30 home runs and 100 RBI, that's pretty much one full season. That's pretty good numbers to get let go on. Yeah, well, yeah, especially back then for the Royals, <laughs> where we were yeah. at that point. Well, how, so you, you mentioned earlier about when you're a part-time player or trying to you know establish yourself as a big leaguer, you kind of were up there hacking, maybe your approach wasn't where you wanted it. I mean, were you a lot more relaxed, you know, especially in 96? Did you just feel like, okay, I can relax and I'm an everyday player now? I mean, how much easier did that make it for you? No, you know what? I don't know if I was stubborn growing up through the system, but I think in '96 I finally realized that I I have power to all fields. I can hit the ball the other way, and I think Bob Boone and Greg Lozinski were hard on me and trying to tell me that you need to let the ball travel. You need to go to the opposite field. You can hit the ball as far to the right center as you can to the left center. And I think that really helped me from '96 through till my career was over, as far as using all fields. When I was at Oakland, I was a primary pull hitter, and I think let's say I hit 20 home runs, probably. 17 of them were to left field, maybe three to two to center and one to right. Well, if you look at the numbers from Kansas City on, I was probably not maybe not 50-50, but more or less 55-45, 60-40 from left to right and spread the ball around quite a bit more. Yeah, I remember that right center power that you had. So you mentioned so Bob Boone, Greg Lazinski, obviously you know Booney is gone and Tony Muser takes over. I mean, how tough on that? You know, did, did you feel when that happened that you were kind of in trouble? And then did you even really get to know Tony Muser that much? No, I knew the. I mean, the writing was on the wall when he came over. 
I started platooning with Scott Cooper, and it, it was it was really frustrating for me because I knew at the time, and and I don't like getting on players, but I felt I was by far the better third baseman, by far the better option to be playing at that spot, and it became a platoon role. It also became a question of my third base ability, and the shortstop at the time in his next year was moved to second base, I believe, when he went to Arizona Diamondbacks. So there's always these questions that that frustrate someone, and they're complaining that I was the person that didn't have the range when they didn't want to look at someone else who might have been making more money that was involved. Uh, So like I said, I don't like pointing names, but it was really frustrating when that happened because I felt I had a lot more to offer than anything they had, any other option they had. And I was still, I think I was 30 years old at the time. Actually, I was 28. So I still felt I had a lot left in my, a lot left in my tank, and had the potential to really help those guys out and solidify third base. And was never was kind of as soon as Bob Boone was gone, I didn't have anybody fighting for me. Well, you signed with the Mets then for 1998, but then I'm assuming I didn't ever find the info on this. I'm assuming you were injured most of that year because you played 15 games at Norfolk and then just seven in New York. What happened that year? Yeah, so I that was a. Frustration after frustration for me that year in spring training. Go to New York. Was told I was going to be the backup first baseman, third baseman, play all three outfield spots, be used as a slash super utility player. Uh, go have a great spring training. New team, all new players nationally. Probably recognize one or two people out of the fifty people that are in the clubhouse to start spring training. Uh, so that was a little uncomfortable. Get over there, have a good spring training. Get down to the last cut come out of the shower after our last game in spring training, Bobby Valentine calls me over and says, hey, congratulations, you're going to New York with us. I'm like, awesome, made the team, you know, at this point in my career, you, you never know. You know, I wasn't released from Kansas City, but they sent me down. Uh, but in my eyes, I was released. So now I get the feeling of going to New York, have everything shipped to New York. The only problem is we brought 26 players. So we have, I think we had 13 player pitchers at the time, and they were trying to trade one. And then three days before the season starts, end up not being able to trade them. So guess what? Craig Paquette has to go to AAA until they can get rid of one of the pitchers or someone gets hurt. I go down to AAA, had a pretty good time. I don't remember my numbers, but decent, not great. Get called back up, and I believe in the fourth game, right after rain delay, was trying to beat out an infield single, and ended up twisting my ankle on the base or my ankles twisted when it hit the base it was wet and it ended up uh having a severe ankle sprain never recovered ended up having surgery and they found two or three large osteophytes uh, on my ankle and removed them oh man well then the next year i've got to assume was a little frustrating in a different way so the first half of the year at least so you're hitting the cover off the ball it's july of 99 you've got 15 home runs and 54 rbis for norfolk and just 70 games so you're, you're smacking the ball around but eventually you'd obviously get traded to the cardinals right there at the trade deadline but think back to like a few days before the trade deadline before you would get traded for sean dunstan were, were you i mean were you pretty frustrated at that point saying what do i have to do to get back up well no see so that's what uh you're I was I was involved in the Pan Am games. Oh, okay. So in 1999, Omar Manaya was in charge of forming a team for the U.S. 
for the Pan Am Games. So uh, to this day, I don't know 100%, but in my eyes, I felt like I was being held down there to kind of represent and be the captain for Team USA. In the first, it's the, it was the first time that minor league players were used uh, for the Olympics or for the Pan Am Games. So three of our guys off of our Norfolk team were taken for the team because Omar was the GM, and then the rest was filled out with one or two players from all the other teams. Okay. <laughs> and, yeah, so in my eyes, I was being held down to kind of be the captain to help get us to the Olympics because it was a pretty big deal. They only were going to take two teams from the Pan Am Games out of Dominican, Venezuela, Cuba, Canada. I think Netherlands was in there. There was about 12 to 16 teams, Mexico, where the top two were going to qualify for the Olympics. And if we didn't qualify, that would have been pretty much a black flag on our baseball card that we didn't qualify for the Olympics and we were on the team. Right. Well, you. So I went down and played. I, w- I think I was held down, went down, played in the Pan Am Games. We, we, the whole team flew to Tucson, worked out in Tucson for a week. And then the games themselves were actually in Winnipeg, Canada. So the team went up to Winnipeg, played a little round-robin tourney, and ended up winning a silver medal, losing to Cuba for the gold medal game. And it just so happens right after the gold medal game, it was July 31st, or it was that day, but I got a phone call back in my hotel room as I still had my previous uniform on, that I'd been traded to St. Louis Cardinals. Well, so then you, you go over to uh, to St. Louis. I'm assuming Tony had something to do with that? Yeah, that's another, you know, like I said, I've got my whole career has been weird stories. I jump on a plane early the next morning, fly straight to St. Louis, fly, get, off the, get off the plane, go right to the park. I think it was 2 in the afternoon. Walk in the clubhouse, go right into Tony's office, sit down, welcome aboard. You're starting at second base tonight. <laughs> and of all the positions I'd played to that point, second base, second base was not one of them. So I, therefore, as soon as the coaches got there, got dressed, went out and started taking ground balls at second base and actually felt pretty comfortable once the game started. But the story behind the story is to Tony, his coaching staff was all the same coaching staff besides the third base coach that came from Oakland. And, of course, I knew them, played with them for three years in the big leagues, a couple of years in the minor leagues, ahead of that in spring training. Uh, Dave McKay, the first base coach, came up to me. The first time he saw me, he gave me a hug and said, man, where have you been? He goes, we've been trying to get you the last two years. And I was like, what? <laughs> He's like, yeah, we, we tried to contact you last winter, and we didn't know how to get a hold of you. And at the time, I had just switched agents. So I'm trying to put two and two together going, how can you not get a hold of me? You know, I'm obviously, you know, cell phones weren't big and huge back then, but for you not to be able to get a hold of my agent, that was hard for me. I, I didn't get that, but it was definitely brought up. And at the time I had Boris, I understand Boris was a big guy. He wasn't giving me the time of day. He was always pushing me up to his assistant. So I hired a new agent, Dave Meyer. And for some reason there was no communication or they could, didn't know how to go get a hold of me. And as far as being excited to be there but frustrated about the two years ahead of time, it hit me all at once. God, man. That's ridiculous. Yeah. 
So you finished off 99 with St. Louis and then came back. You played every day in 2000, 2001. Great years both years. You helped St. Louis to the 2000 NLCS, 2001 NLDS. Your favorite memories of those years in St. Louis? My Well, I, there's, a, there's a ton of memories, but probably my favorite one, there's, there's three. But, but number one, obviously the playoffs, being in the playoffs, that was the only time in my career I was in the playoffs. It was phenomenal. But my first game in St. Louis, I was two for four with a three-run home run, and we won four to one. Awesome. Probably a month into that season, and at the time, I think St. Louis, we were a 500 team, weren't in the playoffs, were out of it from the start when I got there with two months left. I think it was early September. I had four straight game-winning RBIs, two walk-offs, and then two in the bottom of the eighth inning. And just to experience that and have people running out on the field and dogpile you for, for it was actually two straight walk-offs, and then it, I think I had an eighth-inning home run to win the game, and then the next game was a walk-off. Huh. So that by far was, I mean, as good as it gets. But my best memory was in 2000, I led off the year. First at-bat was a three-run home run off Kevin Tappany, and I got a curtain call. My last at bat of the season was a three-run home run against Cincinnati to make sure to signify or whatever that we were we got home field advantage for the first round of the playoffs. Oh, cool! So my first at, my first at bat and my last at bat were both three-run home runs, and I got curtain calls both times. That's cool. What? Now, when, yeah. you, when you think back to those two different years in the two playoff series, was there any of those two series or any particular loss that hurt the most or was the most demoralizing to you? Well, without question, the biggest loss was in 2001 at home, series tied 1-1 to against the Diamondbacks. We had a one-run lead going into the eighth inning. We brought in our left-handed specialist, Mike Matthews, to face Craig Council. And he hit a two-run home run. I think Council had one or two home runs for the season, maybe three or four. Not a power guy, no threat to hit a home run in the postseason. Steps up and hits a two-run home run. And just we were baffled. <laughs> yeah, he he turned into like Roger Maris that whole postseason. I remember. Yep, he did. Uh, now I wanted to ask you about a couple of your teammates. One of which uh, we lost way too young. Obviously, what kind of man was uh, was Daryl Kyle? Uh, one of the best, no question. Great guy, a guy's guy would do anything for you. You know, he made. He's one of those guys that made a ton of money, and you never would know it. Just was treated everybody the same. Perfect gentleman, and just, just a total sad story of how it happened. And I, I felt even worse than when they discovered that stuff to tarnish anything about him. But it, it's just sad that that was found, because he was without question one of the top five people I've ever played with in baseball. Now, one other guy I wanted to ask you about was uh, was Mike Matheny. Could you see it back then that he'd be a manager and, and just a total baseball guy even back then? Yeah, I totally could. Mike's a great guy, studies the game. He's more intense than anybody I've seen or played with. He's one of those guys that's at the field at 1 o'clock looking at videos, checking each hitter, pitchers, checking our pitchers, trying to look at stuff to help him out. I mean, he was a pitching coach when he was catching. So, I mean, he, he was one of those guys that did it all. And if you really look back, uh, I'd be amazed 
it nowadays how much video there is with these catchers back in the day, like a, a Bochi or someone that didn't have access to the videos they did. But Mike's definitely a student of the game, and there's no doubt I saw him in the big leagues managing one day. Well, I'm assuming it had to be kind of bittersweet and kind of sad to leave St. Louis after 2001. You signed with uh, with Detroit. I mean, what was that you know whole experience like leaving a team that had done so much for you and playing in the playoffs? And you know, when you think back to that, that was the worst situation I could have ever left for. St. Louis. Every time I look back, you know, you always you can never second guess yourself. But at the time, it was my one chance to be a free agent. And it was my one chance to see, you know, what kind of money I can put in the bank because everybody knows baseball players, for the most part, if you're not making $20 million a year, you have to try and make as much as you can. And then, you know, even when you're done, you're going to find a job. So this was my one chance to try and put some money in the bank. And the Cardinals came and offered barely – they offered a two-year deal that was barely a raise of what I had made the year before, which at that time I believe was $1.5 million. So, you know, don't get me wrong, that's a lot of money. But in the scheme of things with what players were making, and, you know, I, I me and my agent projected my numbers to be half of an everyday player, let's just say. So an everyday all-star. And an everyday all-star at that time was making five to $8 million. So we said, you know what? There's no question you should make $2.5 million a year. So the Cardinals came in on for two years, one point eight, with no incentive and – we said we'd like to do rediscuss this, and at that time, they weren't willing to pay that for a utility player. So within a few days, Detroit calls and offers a two-year $5.1 million, which put me at that 2.5 number we were looking for. Uh, we, we felt we couldn't turn it down. We jumped on it. Thought it was going to be a good opportunity. It was a younger team with a great new stadium uh, and they just weren't ready. They didn't have it. It wasn't the right group of people. It wasn't the right group of players from top to bottom. I think it was just a total fiasco once I got there. Yeah. Well, one guy I wanted to ask you about the place for the Royals now. Do you remember a, a young Omar Infante very well? Yes, I do. He was, at that time, he was playing shortstop, and it was between him and another guy. We had Shane Halter at shortstop, who was another Kansas City Royal. He was our starting shortstop, and Fonte was the young up-and-coming guy. They, he probably had two or three stints up there when I was there where it was call-up, send-down, call-up, send-down. But at that time, he wasn't ready. But I could always tell that if he ever developed into any kind of hitting, he, he, would, he would be legit because he could always feel it, had a great arm, and was a really smart player for young, at a young age. Well, 2003 and 2002, like you said, you were with Detroit. And the losing had to have stunk, obviously. But in retrospect, I'm sure there were some nice moments, too, for you when you look back. No, actually, there wasn't. It was, it was, <laughs> it, it was all downhill from, from day one. I think our, my first year in 2002, I think we lost our first 12 games. Phil, Phil Garner was the manager. He's the one that, you know, when, I, when they kind of recruited me, I, went, I flew out there, went and had dinner with him, got along great with him, super nice guy, respected him, and he lasted six games. And they ended up hiring our bench coach, who at the time wasn't experienced, didn't know anything. He didn't even know half the players. He didn't know what position I played. <laughs> didn't know that I was had been slash a super utility player that can play more than just third base. 
So there's times where it'd be two weeks at a time where I didn't play, and I'd go into his office and say, you know, hey, I can help you guys out. I can play left, right, first, second. He goes, I didn't know that. I thought you just played third base. <laughs> yeah, so that tells you how frustrating that year was. And then going into 2003, it was almost the same exact thing, but a couple other guys had gotten healthy. So they felt that it was going to be a good chance, and guess what? The same exact thing happened. I think we lost. We probably started out maybe 2 and 10, 2 and 9, and it was just a horrible start to a horrible season. And I think I was told that I was going to be there the whole year and help help bring in some of these young kids. And Kirk Gibson and Alan Trammell basically looked at me 30 days later and said, you know what, we're going to race you. Hmm. So I didn't know how to take that, but. It was not a good situation for me. Well, you finished off in Memphis that year in 03. And then, so from 04 to 06, were you just not playing, or I couldn't find much on that? No, so here, here's, how, here's how it ended for me. So 03, I get released end of April with Detroit. And like I said, the last day of spring training, they had just released Damien Easley and still owed him two years of six months a year. They had, they had mentioned in the paper that I was going to be released the last day of spring training, they call me in their office and say, you know what, we're not releasing you. We want you to be a part of the growing process in Detroit. We want you to be here to help bring in some of these kids. I said, perfect. If that's what you want, you want me to be here, great. Because I had, I had an option in my contract, so things went well. And it wasn't a lot of money when you look at it. Uh, but a month into it, they came and said, we're releasing you and we're bringing time to that, which in my eyes is a total lie because they said we wanted you the last day spring spring, they said, we want you to be here the whole year. Get released after a month. Go home. It was the first time I had been home, and at this time we had bought a house in St. Louis. I had two boys. Uh, got to sleep in my own bed. Got to take them to school. Spent some time where I hadn't ever done that before. Of course, I got a couple phone calls. St. Louis called, said, we want, it. we want you here. We want to put you in AAA, get some at-bats. You haven't played a lot in the last month. I said, no problem. Can we? I asked my agent, we need to put something in my contract. I don't want them to put me down there all. At that time, I was still being paid, and St. Louis just owed me what they were paying for my minor league time. Right, right, right. So I wanted my agent to know that I don't want to be stuck in Memphis for three months until they feel they need me, and you know maybe for a September call-up or something. I didn't want to stay in Memphis. So I said, can we put something in my contract where in two weeks I need to be called up or I have an option to get out and go somewhere else? He said, of course, that they do that all the time. So we had that put in, our con- in my contract. Well, the pre- two years prior to that, I bought my now ex-wife a clothing store. So she had a little nice woman's boutique where she'd like, give her something to do. She was selling clothes, what she loved to do. Uh, as I'm in Memphis, Tennessee, on bus rides, she is calling me and crying on a daily basis asking me to retire, I don't need this, she can make enough money, selling clothes, that I don't need to play baseball to come home and be a fan. So I dealt with these phone calls probably for a week straight every time my phone rang. Huh. And being on the road, and I, and I believe Memphis at that time, I think we had, if I was there for two weeks, we were probably on the road for 10 of those 14 days riding buses. So now picture being in the big league for the last nine, ten years, almost solid, and getting on a bus and having your wife cry to you every day saying she needs you home to help you with the kids and raise the family. 
Yeah. <laughs> I did the family choice, decided to re- not slash retire, quit, walk away from baseball in Memphis and 03. And the worst thing happened the next day. Fernando Vini got hurt the next day after I left. <laughs> they called up Bo Hart. And I was all over the news, like, why didn't they call it Paquette? Why isn't Paquette here? And the biggest thing from Maurice was, well, he left the team yesterday. Oh, no. So, yeah, not a good end to my career in St. Louis as far as that goes. Oh, geez. Well, 2007. <laughs> you, you didn't know that part, did you? No, I've never heard that. That. <laughs> I, I mean, I, you know, I'm a Royals guy, so I don't love the card. That breaks my heart, even, man. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, let's let's put it this way. I had news crews. I had channel I had NBC and CBS news crews in my house asking me why I left. <laughs> God, so it makes you look bad too when you weren't meaning to. Exactly. God, so 2007, you took one more swing at it. You were 38. You played for Camden in the uh, in the indie league. Was that summer fun at all? You know what it really was? I, I, I'm one of those guys that my whole thing when I retired or stopped playing was I don't want to ever be looked at as a fat ex-baseball player. So I stayed in shape. I always, I never, I mean, my playing weight was 195. Right now I'm 196. Oh, that's cool. So I never gained weight. I always stayed in shape. I always worked out pretty much on a daily basis and felt, you know what, why not give another shot? Four years into it, my, uh, XY store, we we just closed it, and my career, I ended up with 99 career home runs. So there was always that, and all my friends and family call me 99 as a joke. <laughs> so there was that that little light came on, saying, "Man, what if I can come back? What if I can show these guys that I'm ready to play after sitting out four years at 38 years old?" come back and just try and be a utility guy in somebody's team and hit that 100th home run. That'd be a pretty cool story. So I made some phone calls, talked to my agent. He made a couple phone calls. I actually talked to Walt Jockey in person, uh, spoke to him, asked for his advice, what, what should I do, and everybody said, you need to go to the independent league after, since you've been out for four years. Go to the independent league, get some at-bats. It's a scouted league. If you open some eyes, you never know. So that's what I did. I went to went to Camden. We had spring training. The funny story is we had spring training at Lakeland, where oh. the Tigers have spring training. Yeah. So I was real familiar with the clubhouse and all that scene. End up in spring training for this. And don't get me wrong, you're still facing some pretty good pitchers here. And the sad part is you're facing pitchers that throw hard but don't have control. And they have they have an ego. So there's a pretty good chance one, two, or three guys are going to get beamed every game. <laughs> and that's what happened. I, I ended up starting off really hot in spring training. I'm not saying I was hit 500, but if not 500, it's pretty close to it. A couple home runs, few on there are good. Had everybody on the team going, dude, you're not going to be here long. You're going to do this, you're going to do that. And before you know it, I get shin splints. Ugh. Not used to the spikes and the hard dirt, and I missed the first two weeks of the season with shin splints. So then, needless to say, went, played the whole year, enjoyed it, really enjoyed playing with guys that never got a chance to be there, got to tell my story, 
most of those kids were not kids, but most of those guys that got to A ball, a couple in the double A, you know, every now and then you play guys that, you know, got to bigger Offerman, I think, was in the league at the time. Uh, but it was a really good experience just to see what kind of different baseball was out there. And it's really pretty good baseball. Well, you you mentioned the 99 home runs. Think how many of them died at the warning track at Kaufman in that big park, man. That's that's Oh, crazy. yeah, exactly. And then I think I hit one of my balls at Comerica when they didn't move the fences in yet, hit the top of that stinking center field fence. Like 440-something? <laughs> yep. Yeah. Well, last three yep. questions for you real quick here. Thanks for all your time. Last three things. Uh, first of all, you know, last time you were back in KC, has it been a while? Yes, it has. Uh, it's been since I played there. Really? Uh, and, and I honestly, I don't travel a lot. I mean, I'm, I have an ex-wife now, so with the kids, it's a little tricky. So I'm not big into traveling right now, but I, I love that place. I mean, I remember we had a nice little condo right next to Johnny Damon and had a blast. Yeah, I was going to ask you. So, you mean, off the field in KC, what, what, what sticks out about the city of Kansas City itself? Just of the people. I mean, I love St. Louis. I love Kansas City. I love what's that little center where everybody goes to in Kansas City? The Plaza or Crown Center? The Plaza. Yeah. yeah the, I mean, as far as places to go and hang out and relax and have a good time, the Plaza was probably as good as it gets for somewhere to go when you when you live and play there. Uh, yeah. Just just really good times. Well, last thing for you then is, you know, what would you like to say in summary to uh, to all Royals fans listening? Basically, I, I super enjoyed playing there. Uh, you guys showed that your spirit and your support in the last postseason, and I, I look for the Royals to continue and, and maybe not say dynasty, but I think if there's any team out there right now that can continue to grow and get better and, and be in the playoffs on a yearly basis, Kansas City's right there. Man, I hope so. It sure was a fun time. Well, well, speaking of fun times, thanks for all the good memories. You know, I enjoyed watching you play those couple years as did all Royals fans. You put up some good numbers. They kind of speak for themselves. And, you know, it sucks you weren't in a better team here while you were here, but we enjoyed having you and hope to see you back out here one of these days and, and stay in touch, man. You got it. Thanks for the time.